0: Sabrina Garin, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches! This is your special sowin bonus episode of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brina Garan, and at last, it's Halloween once more! And what could be a better Halloween treat than another installment of listener ghost stories? Well, maybe a big bag of candy bars, but there would have to be a lot of them. Maybe full-size. But until I can figure out how to make fun size candies appear under all of your pillows through witchcraft... I'll have to settle for relating some delightfully spooky tales for the season. No plugs today, since this is a bonus episode, so we'll just get right into it. Our first story is from a good friend of mine, so we'll kick things off with these historic hauntings from Ashley. From her childhood home. I honestly didn't realize the house I grew up in was haunted until after we moved out. Everything that happened I just shrugged off as typical eyes playing tricks, or just something that happened to everyone. I never actively saw anything, just things moving out of the corner of my eye, but when you have a dog, a cat, and a little brother in a super small house, that doesn't seem unusual. Our basement was unfinished, just one huge room with cement walls and floor, dark, dingy, and musty. There was a small room off of it that the previous owners had started to put a bathroom into with the intent of finishing it, but the place flooded any time there was slightly more rain than usual, so that was abandoned. That room always gave me the creeps. Don't know why. I just never liked it. Our washer and dryer were in the big main space, and I always felt like I was being watched down there. Again, I chalked that up to having an active imagination and being a bit of a scaredy-cat. The thing that made me realize that something else might be going on was what happened at night. Not every night, but most. As I was falling asleep at night, it would feel like someone sat down on the corner of my bed. I would always look, thinking it was my cat, but there would never be anyone there. I rationalized it by telling myself it was just one of those things that bodies do sometimes, like how you'll be half asleep and have a dream where you fall and then you jerk awake. When I left home to go to college, I noticed that it wasn't happening in my dorm room. One day, I made an offhand comment to my roommate about how it used to happen all the time, but now that I was in college, it didn't happen anymore, and how weird is that? She looked at me like I was nuts and made me explain. I learned that day that that absolutely did not happen to everyone. It wasn't until years later, after me and my brother had moved out and my parents had sold the house, that we actually talked about it. My brother pretty much had the same experiences that I did, although he says he saw shadows and heard people walking in the hall more than I did. What 1,000% confirmed to me that there was something not right there Was my conservative Baptist mother telling me she used to have recurring dreams that she would be saging the house and telling something to leave and saying the Lord's Prayer? Nope. Uh uh. Don't like that. I don't know the history of that house beyond that it was built in the 1950s or 60s, and my parents bought it in 1986 after they got married. Maybe someday I will research and find out. I do know that none of this has happened in the new house or in the places where my brother and I have ended up. I do just want to hop in before I go to the uh, other two stories that Ashley sent in. That feeling something sit down at the end of the bed thing, that is so common. Like, it, it's ridiculously common. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I'm saying that that is a thing that happens a lot. I've heard lots and lots of stories about it. I've experienced myself. I still experience it like at least once a week, whether it's feeling like the bottom corner of the bed is being depressed. Like I always think it's a cat or, you know, maybe a corner of the couch cushion sinks down under my foot. It's a really weird sensation. And I sometimes wonder if there is something like perfectly mundane and physical that causes it but it's very very odd that this is a thing that happens so often just that you you feel like someone has sat on the bed it's never been something that's frightened me personally and a couple of the times that I've had it happening it was uh it was actually kind of comforting it was it was kind of nice it felt like you know comforting, familial, kind presence there. So, you know, with any luck, Ashley, it was someone you knew or someone who used to live there, maybe checking in, looking in on you and, you know, just making sure you were getting to sleep. All right. So who knows? I'll be interested to see if, uh, if you find anything, if you ever research. All right, moving on to the Peyton Randolph house. This is in colonial Williamsburg where Ashley used to work. Most everyone who works in the Randolph house has heard or seen something, especially those who work there during evening programs like the ghost walks. My experience was pretty mild compared to others I'd heard. I was the first tour in the house that day. My group had their backs to the parlor door and I was facing it. As I was talking through the gap in the bottom of the door, I saw what looked like skirts walking by. Not unusual. I assumed it was one of our character interpreters, as they would usually station in the parlor, and that they were listening in to see where in my interpretation I was. I said as much to the group, oh, I believe we have someone from the past in the parlor to speak to, before we went in, and I remember thinking it was weird that I hadn't heard the back door open. Lo and behold, we go into the parlor, and there is no one there. I laughed it off to the group like, oops, I was wrong. Guess you'll just have to listen to me and continued on. But internally, I was freaking out. Opening and closing the house alone always set me on edge. I never saw or heard anything, but there was always just a feeling, especially in one of the bedrooms upstairs. Never liked that one. Incidentally, another aside, uh, I have been to the Peyton Randolph house. I know exactly what bedroom she's talking about. And whew, yeah, it um, it has a vibe. It's, uh, I don't know if it's the decoration, the wood paneling in there is kind of dark. Uh, the windows are partly covered, so it doesn't really get a ton of sunlight, which is weird because considering where it's positioned on the house, it feels like it should, but it, it has... It has a feeling to it, and it's just sort of a keep out, please feeling. Like not mean, but just sort of you're not allowed to be in here, go away sort of thing. It feels like someone's private space. When you're in there, when you're looking into the room, when you step into the little cordoned off space, you feel like you're intruding. So I I completely understand what she's talking about there. Oh boy. Anyway, moving on. Back to Ashley's story. I would always do what I had to as fast as I could in there and move on. There was also one day where myself and another co-worker were the only female interpreters working in the building. One of the male interpreters came up to me after he finished a tour and asked if I had been in the house just now. I said no. He asked if the other female interpreter was wearing a blue gown that day. I said she wasn't. He just shook his head and said he'd seen a woman in a blue gown walk by one of the windows as he was finishing his tour up in the yard. Neither of us were wearing blue that day, nor would we have had reason to be by the window he was talking about as it was not a room we took tours in. That one really got me because this particular co-worker always scoffed at the experiences others would share and was a pronounced skeptic, so he definitely wasn't making it up. A story from Edinburgh Castle I have been to Edinburgh Castle twice. The first time was with my cousin. I don't remember anything remarkable about that visit. The second time was with my roommate that I lived in during my M.A., there is a section that was used as a prison in the Victorian era and is still set up that way. We were the only two people in there, and the entire time we were looking around, I just felt wrong. I never understood what people on ghost shows meant when they talked about a place having vibes or feeling bad or wrong or heavy until then. In the back left corner, there was a shower area. As we made our way into it, I was overwhelmed with the feeling of something bad happened here. Not wanting to alarm my friend, I stayed calm and looked around like nothing was wrong. A family came in while we were finishing up, and I thought, oh, now the feeling will go away because we aren't alone in here anymore. But it didn't. As we walked back out and into the courtyard, my friend just looked at me and went, you felt that too, didn't you? And we proceeded to describe identical feelings to each other. Neither of us had talked the entire time we were in there, and there weren't any signs describing terrible horrors that had happened there, so we weren't feeding off each other or off of previous knowledge. We were both completely freaked out and jumpy for the rest of the visit. Ooh, I do love a good historical haunting. I cut my teeth on Historic Haunted America by Michael Norman and Beth Scott back in the day, so I just love ghost stories with a little history behind them and listeners for those of you who don't know I actually live within a quick driving distance of Colonial Williamsburg so I've been there quite a number of times I was actually just there for a a witch walk uh earlier this month where we walked up and down Dog Street to the palace and back uh or to the courthouse the courthouse rather um And then I went to the Taliaferro Coal House for cider and donuts afterward, and it was just lovely. But if you haven't ever been, uh, Williamsburg is, (laughs) is a profoundly haunted town. Um, you know, not just because of the fact that it sits at this big, big crossroads of history, but just the sheer number of people who have been through it over the years, um, You know, the the historic area as it sits now is obviously a reconstruction. However, the area saw a lot of history and has had people living on it for give or take about 400 years in terms of, you know, white people being there. And for obviously thousands of years with the indigenous people before that. So it's an area that has... A feeling to it. If you ever get the chance to visit, highly recommend it. It's a fun, fun place, good bunch of people, and the people who are giving the tours are really awesome, and if you ask them nicely, they will tell you ghost stories. Our next story is from Emmy. So I'm watching scary stories being told right now, and they reminded me of something that had happened to my sister. I don't quite remember all the details So I'm sure if Witch Witch Amy remembers this one, she can fill in the details I forgot or got wrong. And Witch Witch Amy is the person who sent this to me. I hope I'm getting these uh, these names right. Uh, Thank you so much for sending this in. It was a good story. So this happened a while back. I think my sister was home during winter break while she was in college. So like five-ish years ago, maybe. I don't know. I was in high school. During the winter, we move things from a fridge in the garage to an old one in the basement as they will freeze in the garage. Our quest starts with my sis going to the basement to get something to drink before bed. So, something to note about me before we go further. I have had hallucinations my whole life. Because of this, I am deathly afraid of the dark, the basement, and basically anything that requires me to leave the safety of my bedroom on the second floor at night. Back to Sis. She's in the basement, and in our basement, you have to walk past three doors to get to the fridge, and an open unfinished room, and the space under the stairs. I hate it down there. So the first door is always shut, as is the storage room, The second is shut when she's home as it's at the bottom of the stairs and creeps her out if it's open. I prefer it open so I can see into it, but I'm mostly fine with it shut. So when she's home, it stays shut. The last door is almost always open and is right next to the fridge. As she walks past the last door, she hears me quietly call out her name, full name, not her preferred nickname. She instinctively responds with a yes, sweetie, without realizing that my voice came from a dark room in the basement which had no lights on at all until she came down my voice comes out of the room again can you please help me now if i remember correctly at this point she was freaked out not only at the concept of why i would be down there but also because as far as she could see i wasn't in plain sight in the room Most of this room is visible from the door, so you basically have to try and hide to not be seen. She grabs her drink and nopes the fuck out. Her room's across from mine, so she can plainly see the light on in my room and the door shut, obvious signs that I'm in there. She pokes her head in and confirms I am in fact sitting in bed and not needing help in the basement. I still want to know what the heck was down there, and I definitely don't blame her for not trying to find out. Hope you enjoyed the weird story. Have a witchy day. You know, I had a similar experience to this one once, where I thought I heard my mom calling me from the spare bedroom in her house. So I went to answer her, but then I heard her downstairs and went down to find her in the living room. Weird stuff. And we were the only two people at home. When that happened, things that imitate voices always give me the creeps. I feel like there's never, there's never an overtly good intention behind something that's going to imitate a person's voice and try to get you to go someplace, you know, oh, please walk into this darkened room and help me. It's no, 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 this, this is some, some siren shit. Let, let, let's not and say we did. Our next story comes from Moira. My parents moved us into a trailer on family property when I was about five. One bright day, my sister was brushing her teeth and I was in the living room. My sister came out of the bathroom and then suddenly came running past me. I looked behind her and saw a big black cat with pinpoint eyes like sparkling diamonds and no tail standing in the hallway. It looked like a free-floating shadow, except for the eyes. It stared at me, then turned and slowly walked into my parents' room. My sister says what she saw was flat on the wall, but not distorted like a shadow would be. We didn't have a cat. There was no cat in my parents' bedroom. There were no windows through which a cat's shadow could have been projected. We got a sense from it that it enjoyed scaring us, though, and years later, after my parents divorced, there was still something in that room that would sit in the shadows of the hallway and stare at me when I was up late. As children, we referred to it as the Black Thing. As a teenager, I called it the Basilisk. That was when I first learned to create wards. There was also a time when I was home alone in the house we live in now. I had just come out of the bathroom and gone into the kitchen when I heard the faucet in the bathroom come on. I thought maybe I'd somehow forgotten to turn the water off. But when I checked, it wasn't the cold water that I had used to wash my hands. It was the hot water, turned on full blast, and not even hot yet. I turned it off and said... Okay, whosoever idea that was, please don't do it again, and explained the concept of water bills. It later turned out that whatever it was liked to play with dials, and we had to have another chat about turning the gas heater up and the stove on. Oh, yikes. (laughs) Playing with dials on a stove is scary stuff. Waking up to a house fire, I think, is like top ten nightmares for just about anybody. Hopefully your new house spirit behaves and, you know, not to yet again, jump in on a thing, but, uh, another thing that I've, I've seen in the past is, uh, you know, being in my bedroom, having the door cracked open and seeing something peek through it. That's one of the things that freaks me out just more than anything. I can't have doors partway open. I have to have them either all the way open or all the way shut so I can tell when something's going on, uh, you, you really only need one instance of something grudge-eyeing you through the door before you're like, and that's staying closed from now on. Our next story comes from Tasha. Happy almost Halloween, or all Halloween now. Before I get to my story, I wanted to tell you thank you for sharing your fantastic self with all of us listeners. You've made this last year and a half a little less terrible. I have learned so much from you and your books. Okay, I'll stop fangirling. I think you could do a little more fangirling. It still makes me blush. Like, I'm, I'm still, I'm still not over having fans. I'm not. That's, that's, that's a secret But everyone kind of knows now because I'm putting it on a podcast because I'm smart. Uh, But yes, I'm, I'm glad that the Show is helping you out. I'm glad that the books are coming in handy, and I'm glad that I've made the, you know, the last 18 months or so a little less awful because let's face it, it's been fucking awful. So, yeah, if I can make you smile, if I can say something or write something that, you know, you find helpful, then I'm doing my job. Anyway, back to your story. My story is about the banshee who came for a visit. You have my attention. November of 2020, my partner and I purchased our dream house that was built in the early 1970s. I feel like the house chose us, which is either a really good thing or a really bad thing. Immediately after moving in, I noticed lots of little things that make me believe the house was a home to a previous witch. Maybe even a few witches, For one thing, there was a circle garden in the backyard with very magical energy. It is alive in more ways than just the plants that live there. Everyone I take through it comments about how good or how strange it feels in there, even my muggle friends and family. Fast forward to June of this year. I was listening to a podcast that happened to be about the Fae. I have always been intrigued by fairy stories and folklore. I will say that uh, the person who wrote in said Faye and Fairy." I'm pretty sure they mean the Good Neighbors. <laughs> so, we'll we'll just we'll leave it at that. This particular podcast was about brownies. I got the bright idea to Google how to get a brownie in your home. How to? Re- I had to read that twice. Tell me you didn't. Oh, thank goodness! She goes on to say, "Seriously, what the hell was I thinking?" Oh, thank goodness. Anyways, I quickly came to my senses and closed the search and put the phone away, giggling about how dumb I was. (laughs) Oh, God, giving me a heart attack reading your story. That was the start of some interesting events. The very next day, when I was about to grind my coffee beans, my toddler asked if he could do it. I unplugged the grinder, put the lid on it, and turned around to the island to plug it back in so he could reach it. When I looked through the lid... The beans were already ground. I am absolutely 100% sure I didn't grind them. That was just the first event. Here is the Halloween-worthy event. Still in June of this year. After everyone went to bed one evening, finishing my chores, I feel someone watching me. Down the hall, I see a very corporeal, black-hooded figure standing next to my children's playroom— I looked away, not fully comprehending what I saw. Quickly looked back, and it was still there. I looked down, said, Not tonight! And when I looked back up, it was gone. The next day, I told a fellow witch friend of mine, who wouldn't think I was totally crazy. Like me, she is well aware of the spirit world and all the shenanigans the dead like to have around us. This was most definitely not a dead person seeking attention. A few nights later... I was taking my two-year-old to bed. I looked out the back sliding door toward my horse corral and saw the black hooded figure standing there looking, quote-unquote, my way. It felt like it was looking my way. I couldn't actually see any eyes or face. The next day, I'm driving home recording that same witch friend, a Marco Polo message. As soon as I pull into my driveway, I hear a loud, sharp, scream in my back seat. Nothing was there. It scared the crap out of me, and it's all on the message. Two days later, my paint mare suffered from a stroke, and I had to put her down. Oh, jeez. It was gut-wrenching, to say the least. Just days after that, listening to an audiobook about fairies, I learned about banshees. I listened to that part over and over, not being able to believe I actually saw and heard what might have been a freaking banshee. Holy shit! When I told my friend what I learned, she wasn't surprised. She had the same thought I did in the beginning, that the hooded figure might be death. I wasn't going to say it out loud, and neither was she, and we weren't all the way wrong. It wasn't death, but it was something warning me about a death. Thankfully, I haven't heard or seen her since. And I'm most definitely not looking to. I have since put up wards, boundaries, and some pretty definite rules. So far, so good. Oh, that is heartbreaking. I am so sorry about your horse, that poor thing. That's that's always just the worst feeling. That said, I'd say it's worth looking into your family background to see where you come from. And if there are any family legends about harbinger spirits. Traditionally speaking, banshees are attached either to specific places or to specific families, and they'll show up when there's going to be a death in a particular area or in that particular clan. Hard to say which one this was, or if it was just a random fetch bringing you a warning, but it might make for some interesting research. I would also be very interested to hear uh, the scream in your car if it was captured on the audio message recording. That has to be freaky. And I will say that sometimes just turning away certain spirits with a nice, firm nope can work wonders, and I'm really, really glad that you didn't invite brownies into your house. Uh, The wee folk can be very helpful, but, you know... Having a relationship with them is complicated, and there's a reason I steer clear of it. Anyway, thank you for sharing. Our next story comes from Odile, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Hello! Mine isn't particularly spooky, but I wanted to share anyways. Oh, that's fine. We accept all kinds of stories here, whether they're super spooky or not very spooky. And this one's kind of cute. When I was a really little girl, my grandma Violet was ill and lived with us. I loved my grandma so much, and she loved me. She had to do some simple exercises to keep certain muscles strong. I'm not really sure what was up, but the doctor said so, and that's really all I have to know. Violet ended up passing when I was about five years old. Years later, when I was around 12, I saw something that confused and frightened me. I had a large pendant for a sports team hanging on the wall, and in its shadow, I could see someone moving. Their top half was still, and their bottom half was shifting, like they were doing leg lifts. This was strange and horrifying, but when I mentioned it to my mom a few days later, she reminded me of when my grandma had to live with us and would do these exercises, and how I, as a little girl, would do them with her. I've never seen these shadows again, but it's always stuck with me. I've always loved and idolized my Grandma Violet, and the idea that she visited me, it doesn't bring me peace, necessarily, but to know that she was checking in when I was in middle school makes me feel better. Anyway, happy Halloween and happy Samhain. Best Odile. Sure, I, like you said, this isn't particularly spooky or terrifying, but... It's certainly poignant, and whether it was an actual visitation from your grandma or just an echo of her presence, it sounds like it was something comforting once you stopped being scared. So, I mean, that's a good thing. It's always nice to be reminded of our loved ones who have passed, and it's always nice when the dearly departed, you know, just kind of stick their heads in, as it were, to be like, hey, how you doing, kiddo? Still good? Okay. Okay. Our next story comes from Scroll. So, this isn't the spookiest or most dramatic story I could tell, but it is eerie in an almost mundane way. Something that can, and I believe most likely does, happen to everyone. Probably without you knowing it. Having been a witch for nearly 20 years, and my partner being a spirit worker since before we met a decade and a half ago, we've seen some shit. But this incident was uniquely physical in a way that we've rarely ever seen happen in real time. We're currently staying with my in-laws, largely thanks to the pandemic, and their house is fairly haunted. Everyone in the house, including my skeptical father-in-law, regularly experiences their share of shadow people, unexplained noises, mysteriously vanishing objects, and so on. My partner and I might be in part responsible for the increase of activity, as we tend to make a safe environment for neutral and benevolent spirits wherever we stay for a while. A couple months ago, after a long day, my partner and I wanted to relax for the rest of the night. So, as we often do on nights like this, it was time for hot chocolate, a midnight snack, and some YouTube or Netflix before bed. We quietly headed down to the kitchen, the house completely silent save for the low chatter of my in-law's TV upstairs. My partner began making our snack as I found our mugs. Before long, I realized I can't find the hot cocoa powder anywhere. The container is a fairly large family-sized jar, maybe a foot tall, and weighing a couple pounds. It's not in the cupboard with the tea where it should be, Thinking maybe my mother-in-law made herself some and left it out, I checked the counter, moving a couple haphazardly strewn bags of chips and other cereal boxes to see if it was placed behind them against the wall. Nope. Nothing. Over the next couple of minutes, we clean up the kitchen pretty well in an attempt to find this huge jar. It's something you should have difficulty misplacing, if it were anywhere near where it should be. So maybe it wasn't anywhere near. My partner points out that her dad has a habit of putting stuff he doesn't personally use in the pantry, so we go into the next room and open the large pantry door. We're within three feet of the kitchen, just around the corner, but we can't see the kitchen. After a quick glance and realizing there's no way this jar would even fit in the pantry as it's currently well-stocked, we close the door and walk back into the kitchen, defeated. And there it is. Sitting in the middle of the counter, right in front of the cereal boxes and chip bags I had just tidied up. I would have had to move this considerably hefty jar that I was specifically looking for in order to organize that section of the counter. There's no way I had overlooked it or moved it without realizing it. It simply wasn't on the counter one moment and the next it was front and center in a place so obvious that there was no way we could miss it. I still can't explain how that got there, but I made sure to make a small shot glass of hot cocoa to leave out for the house spirits and asked them not to move stuff unless it was necessary or helpful to the people living here. In the months since, things like the TV remote and people's keys have gone missing a lot less often. Squirrel, I'm not sure if this is ghosts or if you've got fairies or if your house spirits are just bored, but I hope the sacrificial glass of cocoa helps. I find that my household spirits tend to hide things if I haven't cleaned in a while or if their bowl of snacks is getting stale. I tend to leave out like a bowl of whole nuts since they don't really go bad or attract bugs and I just change them out every now and then and dump the old ones outside for the squirrels. And who knows, maybe your spirits just really, really wanted a glass of chalky milk. Our next story comes from KD Hume. Hey, Brie, it was great to see you at SASCON. Ooh, it was great to see you too. When I saw you were doing ghost stories again, I had to send you this experience. I was in York with two friends, Kay and Cece, traveling around the British Isles after graduating high school we decided to take a ghost tour around the town, mostly because it was cheap. Unfortunately, we were pretentious little skeptics at the time and spent the whole tour giggling, which made the guide focus on us. I don't remember any of the stories he told, but I ended up extremely scared. After the tour, he asked us where we were staying, and we told him the name of our hostel, which was formerly a grand old manor. He proceeded to describe all the ghost encounters people had there, which, honestly, we deserved. It was late when we got back to the hostel and no one was around. Kay fell asleep, but Cece and I were too scared. We sat up reading and journaling until Kay started mumbling in her sleep. "'I'm not Welsh. I'm not Welsh. I'm American.' Kay had a Welsh last name, but we weren't sure what kind of dream would make her so vehement about her nationality. Who are you talking to? We asked, a little scared, but also amused. Still asleep, Kay mumbled, the two little English girls. We freaked, bolted out of our beds, and shook Kay awake. She was pretty grumpy about it. To this day, I suspect she was pranking us, but I don't think I'll ever find out. Okay, sleep talking is creepy enough when you're not expecting to hear it, but when it's timely, nope, 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 nope. Fountains of nope. Worlds of nope. That being said, it could have just as easily been a prank, like you said, but I guess we'll never know. Our next story comes from Brittany. Hello. Hello. My ghostly encounters aren't super spooky or dramatic, I'm a bit of a dead spot for supernatural things to my eternal frustration, but I thought I'd send him in anyway. Some background. The college I'm currently attending is pretty old, having been established in, I think, 1841. 1841. There is a cemetery on the grounds, and right next to the cemetery is an old one-room schoolhouse that was built in 1843 and relocated to the campus in 2000. A couple of the buildings that now hold classes were once used as hospitals in the Civil War. So, there's a lot of history and more than a few rumors of ghostly activity. Story 1 When I stayed in the freshman dorms, the oldest ones on campus, there were always odd things. The most common occurrence was objects falling from the top of my closet. There was never a draft near the top shelf that things tended to fall off of or a slant to the shelves, and the objects themselves were placed far enough from the edge that it was pretty strange for them to fall. I would watch them fall, put them back up, and push them back, turn around for a minute, and then they would fall again. This would usually occur, oddly enough, when I was doing homework. When I got fed up with the cycle, I would politely ask whoever was pushing the objects to please stop, at least until I finished my homework, and the occurrences would stop for the day. Story 2 There is a wooden bench swing next to the one-room schoolhouse that I sometimes go to sit on when it's a nice day. It's pretty heavy for a swing of that type, but it's comfy and gets good sunlight. It faces away from the cemetery and towards the sidewalk, which is at least 100 feet away, that leads to the upperclassmen dorms. It was during my sophomore year, the semester before COVID hit, that I encountered something strange. I don't remember the exact date, but it was a bit past 7pm the night it happened. I was walking back to the dorms after dinner when some movement caught my attention out of the corner of my eye. I wasn't sure what it was at first, but I looked over to see. The swing was moving back and forth. On the swing there was a dark, indistinct figure. I could tell it was a person, but I I couldn't make out any distinguishing features. It was just darkness. Now, it could have been another student, but it was in the 20 to 30 degrees Fahrenheit range that night, which is just below freezing, and there was at the very least mildly sufficient lighting from a nearby street lamp that should have at least allowed me to see a little bit of color or skin or clothing. I definitely know it wasn't the wind, as there was not even the slightest of breezes. I watched the figure swing back and forth for a few minutes before the cold started to get to me, and I continued on my way back to my dorm. I felt oddly calm for the rest of the night, and slept like a rock, which was unusual for me at the time. I never did see anything like that again, and due to COVID I now commute to college and no longer frequently take that path. But the experience has stayed with me all this time. Now, I actually agree with you on both interpretations here. This very well could have been a spirit, and it very well could have been a particularly hardy student. I mean, I remember a number of people from my college days who just did not seem to notice cold weather. I think we all know somebody like that. They're just they're immune to cold temperatures, and it's the strangest thing. So who's to say? At least you got a good night's sleep. Our next story comes from Bethany the Martian. Hi, Bree. I hope this doesn't end up too long, but I tend to ramble. That's not a problem. So do I. When I was 16, my parents split and my mom, younger brother, and myself moved into a house in Norman, Oklahoma. This house was... Okay, let me tell you about my introduction to this house. We moved in on Halloween night during a thunderstorm because of course we did. Bethany, is is this a horror movie? Because this sounds like a horror movie. (laughs) I was in charge of cleaning the kitchen and putting dishes away, so I was wiping down the cabinets. I was alone because mom and brother were going to get another load of stuff. I was too short to reach the top shelf in the cabinets, still am, so I climbed up on the counter and stood up to wipe down the top shelf. I found myself face to face with several small animal skulls. I thought at the time they were cat skulls, but they might have been something else. I was 16 and upset and alone in a new house on Halloween night. They were absolutely skulls, though. I got down and waited in the living room till my mother and brother came home, at which point the animal skulls were disposed of, and then I cleaned the rest of the cabinets. Very, very thoroughly. And this house was just like that. We had an unusual number of flies in the garage for years. There was an odd feeling of not being alone at times. I was, and still am, obsessed with real-life ghost stories, and I used to spend hours reading about people's experiences with ghosts, so I was prepared for some of these things. I actually had three bouts of sleep paralysis while living in this house, the only time in my life that I ever experienced this phenomenon but because I was so educated on ghost stuff, I knew what it was as it was happening and was able to handle it. The first time was a little alarming, and the second two times I was like, oh, this again? I'm going back to sleep. At any rate, it seemed like your average vaguely haunted place. I kind of thought, because I had in my head that what I had found were cat skulls, that maybe it was ghost cats. Things actually got a bit more active after I started getting into witchcraft, which happened the next year. Stuff like the sensation of being touched occasionally by some unseen presence. Sometimes things would go missing and then show up right where they should have been, that kind of thing. Normal, average haunting stuff, nothing too alarming. Trey talks about that in their haunted apartment as the cat you didn't sign up for, and this was very much in that category. I don't think it actually had anything to do with my involvement in witchcraft. I think it was because we pulled the carpet up in the hallway and it didn't like that. Anyway, it was a mild annoyance, but no big deal. Until the night I woke up and saw the Shadow Man. This was not a sleep paralysis episode. I mentioned them earlier to illustrate that one, I had experienced them, and two, was comfortable in dealing with them. My bedroom, that particular night, was unusually brightly lit due to it being a full moon. And I've always had very good vision in the dark, better than average. I still do. And it was one of those rare times in my life when my room was clean. We'd just bought a new bedroom set of furniture, and I'd cleaned and tidied, and my closet door was shut. In other words, there was nothing there to throw odd shadows. There were no odd shapes, no curtains, just blinds and in good repair. There weren't even any trees that could cast shadows on my window. There were trees in the yard, but the angles were wrong for it. And even though I had new furniture, my room layout was more or less the same. It was a small room. There were only so many places it made sense to put the bed, etc. It was just new stuff. I said earlier that I thought pulling the carpet up had disturbed or aroused the whatever, and this is why. I think my new furniture also perturbed the whatever it was. So, I had a pretty good view of the Shadow Man. I've seen figures like this since. Shadowy people, but none quite so clearly or so closely. I've also never seen one like this that was wearing a cowboy hat. Seemed to be wearing some kind of suit as well. My bedroom was like 10 feet by 10 feet. I was really close to this thing. Closer than I've been to any of the other shadow figures I've seen. So even though it was all shadow, I picked out the outline really well. It was just standing there. And when I woke up, I stared at it for a minute. I remember sitting up thinking, oh hell no, or something along those lines. I actually kept a nice little knife, decorative, but with a solid blade that could take an edge, in my room, and I remember thinking that I was going to grab the knife and run for the door. Then it shifted, as if it had noticed me, and I swear I saw the thing smile, a silvery white grin like the light of the moon reflected off a blade, and there's not many circumstances under which I have been more scared. Just white-knuckle terror. Then it was gone. I did a cleansing of the house immediately the following day. I had a live and let live policy with the haunting up until that point, but I was done. Never had any problems with it again, though, or any of the other little problems we'd been having. Somewhat related side note, that cleansing actually worked so well that it completely brought my mom around on me being a witch. She'd been like, well, I guess if you must, but that sold her on it. She noticed that I had solved the problem effectively, and she put her full weight behind me being a witch, so much so that she had me cleanse other houses she moved into later and never doubted my religious path again. And, even though she and my dad were barely speaking at the time, she reassured him as to my path, and he's never doubted me on it since either. Like, my relationship with her was complicated, but after that, it was never about my witchcraft or religious beliefs. Anyway, even if you don't end up using this for your show, I hope it was worth reading. Oof! Yeah, that's creepy. (laughs) Shadow people are creepy to begin with. But, yeah, Uh, this is a variation of the hat man I haven't heard before. Uh, Usually I hear that it's uh, some sort of fedora or a bowler hat or a top hat. So, cowboy hat. Interesting. 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 And you know, maybe it wasn't an actual feline ghost, but it kind of sounds like maybe a Cheshire cat ghost? Terrible joke. That is spooky as hell, though. I'm glad the cleansing worked, and it's good that it brought about those important conversations with your folks and that you're all on the same page now. Our next story is from Frenchie. This isn't a creepy story so much as a story about grief. Growing up, I didn't have a dog despite repeated promises from my mum. We moved out a lot, lived in a lot of rentals where we couldn't get dogs, we had real-life issues distracting everyone from the dog subject, and basically the time was just never right. However, my maternal grandparents had dogs all their life. The one they had when I was growing up, from age 7 to age 19, was a black mutt, a cross of Labrador and we never really knew what, named Venus. I loved Venus with all my heart, and she loved me back. I gave her pets, played with her, helped take care of her, and everything I could when I was at my grandparents. Venus gave me unconditional love. She went between me and my angry father once. Now, my father never hurt me, but I was terrified of his anger because he always screamed so loudly, and I hate, and I hate upsetting people I love. But when he tried screaming at me this Christmas, she went in front of me and growled at him. He backed off. He never dared to scream at me again when we were there. When I came to visit my grandparents, she was always waiting behind the door to welcome me, and I looked forward to having her lick my hands and ask for pets. She was my childhood dog. When Venus died from old age, loved and cherished, I was devastated. I was also in the French equivalent of grade school at the time, burnt out, dealing with unresolved trauma, and stressed out of my mind. I didn't process her death well. I didn't process it at all, really, and just ignored it until I couldn't. Not the healthiest behavior, but I had no energy to grieve properly. The next time I went to my grandparents and she didn't come running to the door to welcome me, I almost cried. I missed her so much during the week I stayed there. It was like I could still feel her around, but I couldn't pet her or tell her how much of a good girl she was, and I hated it. A few years went by. I got a bit better, mostly because French grade school was over, and I still missed Venus. Every time I went to my grandparents, I was reminded of her. I still watched the door and searched for her in her usual hiding spot under the kitchen table. The old grief came back each time, and it didn't help that my great-grandma died at the end of 2019 after two years barely recognizing me when I came to visit. Just another layer of grief in my life. I kept visiting when I could. I smiled for my grandparents. I loved them and I didn't want to worry them. I still searched for Venus in the old house. I could hear her walking sometimes, and I looked under the table, expecting her to be there. I told myself grief was making me feel and hear things. Nobody else noticed anything, after all. Then, 2020 happened. Lots of things happened. I graduated and got my first adult job. I also began reading about witchcraft and paganism on Tumblr, a bit by accident— a blogger I liked suddenly began talking a lot about her religion and giving sources and answers. I was agnostic at the time, a very specific brand where I thought there was something holding the universe together without caring about humanity because it was busy, not letting reality and the whole universe collapse. I never spoke of this with my atheist or Catholic family, but it was my belief. I didn't really believe in witchcraft or paganism either. However, I began reading about signs sent by a specific god on this blog, and it began seeming too familiar. I stopped reading, thinking I was imagining things. I came back the following day on the blog, and the questions asked answered a lot of the ones I didn't dare send, and there was some weird childhood stuff the blogger talked about which made me think of events during my own childhood. Like the time I didn't see from one eye for two days because of a mosquito. I'm very allergic. Also something about being influenced by an old wise bastard wizard character in childhood. I told myself it was crazy. I tried to calm down by going on my favorite Star Wars blog instead. Out of the blue, a blog who posted only Star Wars for more than two years, I saw a BBC Merlin post followed by the normal Star Wars stuff. It was about a character named Odin. At this point, I screamed really loudly, panicked for a few minutes, then decided if magic and gods were out there, I had to look into it. I owed it to my childhood self, who wanted to be a witch. I also owed it to my scientific adult self. When something happens that disproves your previous theory of how the world works, you have to look into it. It really seemed like this was trying to get my attention. And really, a god linked to knowledge, I wanted to learn everything the guy had to teach about universal secrets. So, I looked. I found a site explaining how to develop clair senses. I read books. I meditated. I tried a few spells. Fast forward a few months, Odin is now my dear bastard grandpa. It's <laughs> fantastic. I now have 15 gods from four different pantheons in my life. One of them... Nodens, N-O-D-D-E-N-S, Nodens, I guess, is associated with dogs and promised me my own as soon as possible. I got tricked into self-care and therapy I dearly needed with the promise of universe secrets and I am a lot better for it. I am healing slowly. Also, the vaccination campaign is ongoing and I can finally visit my grandparents again. So I go to visit them, I come in and feel the familiar pang of grief. I sit down at the kitchen table with my mom and my little brother to chat with my granny as I did a million times before. I feel Venus's presence again. This time I have Claire's senses I spent months working on. I spent time learning to differentiate my anxiety from supernatural things. I feel her, and I know it's real. I know I wasn't just imagining things because of my grief. She's really here, and I can communicate with her. So the first thing I tell her is, Why the fuck are you here, Venus? You're dead! In my defense, I didn't really expect this. Fortunately, it's the ghost of my sweet childhood dog, so she doesn't take offense. Her answer is basically a mix of feeling and pictures. She's worried about my old grandparents. She doesn't want to leave them. I answer that we will take care of them, the whole family. I tell her it isn't good for her to stay and she needs to go. She tells me we didn't visit for a very long time. I explain COVID to her as best I can and why we wouldn't come. Then I promise her again that we'll take care of my grandparents and she says goodbye. I ask Nodens to make sure she arrives where she's meant to go. The invisible weight I always feel in the house disappears. It took a few seconds... Maybe a minute at most. Nobody noticed anything but me. I finished the conversation normally, then went up to the room I always slept in, laid down on the bed, and cried for Venus. She was really gone. And finally, I could heal from her death. My mom came later and asked me what was wrong. I told her I finally finished grieving Venus. She didn't understand. Not really. It's been years, she told me, but I'm glad you got there. She is atheist to the core, and I couldn't tell her Venus's ghost was still around for years, but we hugged it out and it was fine. Next time I came to visit, I didn't search for Venus behind the doors or under the table. Wherever she is, I know she's fine, and me, I'll have my own dog very soon. Yeah, okay. I'm not crying. You're crying. I don't know what it is. I can talk to people all day long about their human relatives who have passed, but when it's a pet, just waterfalls. Also, I think this is a really good illustration of how pop culture can bring people to the community. Sure, it wasn't some big mountaintop experience, but it piqued your interest enough to want to know more. And it led you to something meaningful that's enriching your life now. It's like I keep on saying, it doesn't matter how you got here. What matters is that you're here. So I'm really glad that you found that. And I'm so glad that you got to chat with your dear departed pupper. That had to be really comforting, if a little gut-wrenching. Hopefully you will have a new dog of your own very, very soon. Our next story is from Morgan. Hi Brie, longtime fan of your blog and newish fan of the podcast. I'm a bit of a meandering read distracted, which, so reading your content and hearing your thoughts is helpful in reminding me to make time for my craft distracted witching. Oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> As for spirit encounters, I've had a few over the course of my life. I've come to find over the past few years that I'm kind of a medium or at least a part-time channel when the universe it decides it needs something from me. Ain't that just the way? I sometimes receive messages for people either through dreams, energetic impressions, or flashes of insight and images. The story I'd like to share with you today really cemented my trust in this ability and my understanding of just how close the spirit world is to us living folks. For context, I should also say I live above a coffee shop in a charmingly dilapidated Georgian apartment in the heart of Dublin, so it came as no surprise to me when I moved in to find that the house has a strong energy about her. Hi, Penny. Penny wants to hear your story, too. Hi. What is it? Yeah. It's fine, baby. It's okay. I'm leaving that in. (laughs) Along with the high ceilings and tall windows, original fireplaces in each room, and a wide-stepped winding staircase, the house felt, and still feels, imbued with a decidedly warm and comforting feminine energy. Separate from this, there would be moments where a strong presence would enter the space and then leave after a few minutes. These energies did not really bother me, as I grew up in a 1920s flat in San Francisco, and my brother's childhood bedroom always had a heavy and deeply sad masculine energy to it. I found these Irish spirits and energies to be a lot more inviting and pleasant. I first moved into the flat late last summer and stayed alone for about a month before my flatmates moved back for the college term. At this time, I was deep into my spiritual practice, meditating twice a day and pulling daily cards. One night, a couple weeks after my arrival, I had the most vivid and memorable dream of my life. It's rather detailed, so apologies there, but it's relevant to the ghost story. I typically do not dream about myself, nor from my own perspective, so immediately this felt significant. I was on the bottom floor of my house, except it looked more like an older hotel reception area with frosted glass instead of the bustling café I knew it to be in the waking world. An older, silver-haired man unfamiliar to me introduced himself as the guard of the building, and along with him was a little black terrier who kept an eye on the door. I felt nervous in the dream, from shadows moving outside and the dog's alertness, but the guard assured me it was safe inside, and that he was the protector of the house. He was rather gruff at first, saying he'd feel better when his official shift was over, but eventually warmed up to me after I pointed out the time on the clock that marked the end of his workday. I then found out he lived in the building which further comforted me. I went upstairs and found that the house had many corridors and rooms with people I did not know staying in them. Upon reflection, I think I was hanging out in the astral plane version of my house, and I'm very glad that the guard and his dog were there to protect me as it was an unexpected journey. Eventually, I found a door that opened into a room like my childhood home, but it was filled with singing bowls and smelled like burning sandalwood incense. The lights started to flicker, and I heard footsteps running up and down the hall outside, which frightened me, so I called out to the security guard. Suddenly a feeling of calm came over the room as the light stopped flashing and the noises stopped. I sat down and began to play a singing bowl, and then through the door entered a spirit guide my father had thought looked over our family, but one I had never met in a dream or meditation before. I won't get into the details of that discussion, as it was rather personal to myself and my family, but towards the end of our conversation, he asked me if I had any questions for him. I asked if he knew of any spirits coming into the house as I had been feeling a strong presence come and go. He paused for a moment and listened, and then said, Yes, a female spirit has been dropping in regularly. I'm hearing... Dolore, Dolores? A conference-style phone appeared on the floor between us, and a dial tone sounded. A woman's voice filled the room. Hello? I replied, saying, a bit nervous, but as firmly and politely as I could, Hi, Dolores? I don't know who you're looking for, but I don't think it's me. I live here now, and I don't think we know each other. She responded with a short, oh, sound and the call began to break up, and the dream ended. I woke with a start at exactly 3 a.m., not the witching hour I know, but it felt significant nonetheless. I wrote everything down that happened in the dream, and eventually fell back asleep. I recounted the dream to my then-boyfriend, who's rather cynical about anything spiritual, and he told me it was odd, but just a dream. I went about my business, and about a week later, stopped for a coffee on the ground floor. The business is run by a lovely Venezuelan couple, though at this point I had only met the husband and did not know the wife's name. His wife was in that day, and she introduced herself as Loli. On my way back upstairs, I had the thought that Loli was like Lolita, which is a nickname for Dolores. A few days later, I stopped back in and asked the husband if, by chance, Loli was named Dolores, as I had a dream about a spirit of the same name. He was surprised, saying his wife was named after her—I guess departed—mother. Dolores. He laughed and said she would be freaked out because she's terrified of ghosts. After this dream, where I told Dolores that whoever she was looking for was not in my flat— I never felt her in the apartment again. I still find it very comforting that her mother was just trying to visit her daughter, who works in the building, and I hope I didn't frighten Lolly too much. Thanks again for everything you do. Slán go fóil, Morgan. That is a wonderful story, and bonus points for being set in one of my favorite cities. I'm always fascinated with the methods people use when dealing with spirits, the visualizations and the processes they use for communication, conflict resolution, and information gathering. I love (laughs) the use of the conference phone image for this. I couldn't hold it together. I just had to giggle. It seems like such a simple solution but it, it's not one that immediately jumps to mind when we think of, like, spirit communication. We think of, you know, pendulums or automatic writing or Ouija boards or what have you. But damned if talking to ghosts isn't just like being on a conference call, right? Can you hear me? Is anyone there? Charlie, I think you're on mute. If you can hear me, please make a sound. Ugh. Our final story tonight is from Ace. Hi Bree, long-time listener, first-time caller. I was excited to see that you were doing the Ghost Story submissions again, since I have a lot. But one stands out. One that I've told to people before, but no one seems to believe the entire thing. After writing it all out, I realize how this whole thing sounds like a horror movie or something, but it's all true. Well, that sounds promising. The house my family lived in until I was about five or six years old was undoubtedly haunted. I've always been a sensitive person and have always been able to sense spirits ever since I was little. Whatever that thing was, I think it could tell. I was and am a sleepwalker and an insomniac. I would awaken suddenly in the middle of the night, terrified by things I couldn't remember dreaming, and do what any kid would do. Run to Mom and Dad's room. There was a long hallway in that house, with my room at one end and my parents' room at the other, and every night, without fail, it was there. It's hard to describe what exactly it was. It was definitely cold, always cold, even in the heat of summer. Sometimes it would just be a presence, the feeling of someone watching me or following one step behind. Sometimes it would be a lone dark figure hovering just above the floor, just enough to make it clear that it was not my dad standing there. Sometimes it would be a dark or glowing, almost neon sometimes, energy, just above me on the ceiling as I left my room. Sometimes it would be a long pitch black shadow on the ceiling at the end of the hall, and those times were the worst. Those times it would reach down with tendrils of dark, Like it wanted to grab me, take me, and leave nothing behind, and I believed it would. There was malice inside it on those nights, as though it was angry with me and took joy in the way I would silently cry. It seemed to know that my sense of safety hinged on getting down that hull. I had to either brave its cold, petrifying embrace or turn around and hide. It was always a hard decision to make. Sometimes it felt like I was risking my life. I was only three or four the first time I saw it. It hurts my heart to remember begging for my life and safety from this horrible thing. Obviously, it wasn't friendly. We can tell that pretty easily, huh? What I didn't know was that it wasn't just a hallucination. That's a word I learned early hallucination. It was something real, something sinister. Something that wanted to hurt me. We had a basement in that house, with a wooden staircase hidden behind a door at the exact middle of that long hallway I mentioned earlier. I would go down to play with the pool table, or play dress-up, or play on our computer, state-of-the-art for the time, the only computer that could play CD-ROM games on the block. I was going downstairs to play a game, probably, but I don't really remember. All I remember is stopping on the first step with both feet, grabbing the railing and thinking clearly, I need to hold on tight and go slow, or else I'll fall down. I remember noting that I wasn't wearing socks, so my feet were sticking to the wood, so obviously I wouldn't fall. It would be fine. There was no reason I would fall down those stairs. But I did. I took a step down, then another, planting both feet on a single step before going down, to the next one. On the third, while my foot hovered in midair, I felt something grab me. It grasped my left ankle and pulled. I went down hard and slid down the stairs, left foot first, on my stomach, trying to grab something, anything, to stop myself from being pulled. Eventually, I hit the bottom landing with a resounding crash, and from there, things get fuzzy. I know I was screaming and crying. I remember my mom's expression and the way her voice sounded. I know I was bleeding from a nasty cut on that leg. It was the first time I saw blood and realized what it was. After that, I don't really know what happened. Probably someone put a band-aid on me. I tried to explain that something had pulled me down, but no one really believed me. I didn't blame them, of course, since I often had vivid daydreams and liked to tell stories about everything around me, so it would be easy to write it off as just another fairy tale from the mind of a scared child. To this day, I have a scar on my left shin from where I was pulled down those stairs. It's about an inch long and pretty faded now, but still visible. They say it's from scraping along the wood, and it might be, but... I can't help but wonder if it was from the thing that pulled me down, like a claw mark or something. Either way, it's a stark reminder that spirits exist, yes, Penny, and not all of them are friendly. Since then, I've learned how to communicate, protect, and banish spirits. I've protected my friends and their kids from harm, knowing full well the kind of damage these things can do to the unwary, the unprotected, and the vulnerable. I've seen some shit, as you might say. Thanks for your time, Bree and fellow listeners. It's cathartic to share this in its full glory and horror. Wishing you all a safe and happy Halloween ace. Okay, who else has like a lifelong phobia of being pushed or dragged down a flight of stairs? I hate open backed stairs. I mean, I I hate basement stairs to begin with, but especially if they're open-backed. I'm always scared that something's going to reach through and grab my foot or, like, slice my Achilles tendon. Yeah. Penny, you too? Pet Cemetery really messed me up. I read that way too young. And I'm right there with you on the hallucinations bit. I learned that word very early, too, and in similar circumstances. I'm glad you weren't badly hurt. And hopefully that was the worst of your experiences in that house. Well, that brings us to the end of the list. Wow, what a great crop of stories this year. I really love this series. I'm definitely going to stick with it. This is going to be our Halloween tradition. Every year, listener ghost stories. If you didn't get them in this year, prep them for next year. It's going to happen again y'all always send me the best stuff and i hope you've enjoyed listening to them as much as i've enjoyed reading them so this has been volume 2 of listener ghost stories here on hex positive i hope you all have a safe and appropriately spooky evening whether you're witching it up or having a quiet evening at home with scary movies and a big bowl of treats remember which is discount candy day is tomorrow so Until next time, I'm Brina Garin. wishing you Happy Samhain, Happy Pagan New Year, and in the words of horror icon Elvira, unpleasant dreams. It's... Hi, Penny. It's hard to dis... Penny. What? Are you scared? Are you scared of the ghost stories? Oh, the baby. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie podcast network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at Hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Garin on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hex.